First You Think is a not-for-profit ministry of the First Unitarian Church of Des Moines. Support us at ucdsm.org today. Good morning. Um, my name is Elliot Nassif. My pronouns are they, them, and theirs. And I am also a member of the Celebrant team. And thank you so much, Nick, for that beautiful French horn solo. It filled the space so beautifully. Uh, thanks a lot. And thank you to all of you for being here on this wonky time change, weird Iowa winter storm thing. <laughs> I appreciate it. So the Reverend Victoria Safford, you might be familiar with her, recently said in a memorial service for a friend of this congregation, we are companions making our way now through the country of grief, which is, of course, the country of love, for you can't have one, you can't live in one without the other. The country of grief is the country of love, and you enter through the gates of compassion. I am a lifelong resident of the country of grief. Maybe you are too. I first experienced grief and loss at a few days old when my birth mother relinquished me for adoption. And then again at a month old when the adoption agency handed me off from a foster home to my adoptive parents. Of course, I didn't know it was grief at that time as a baby and I still wouldn't know that for a couple of decades. My birth mother, Judy, died in June of 2021. I know I started grieving her death before it even happened. I can't pinpoint when. Maybe it was the day before she died when I kissed her goodbye, not knowing it would be the last time. Maybe it was the week before her death when a nurse told me she was in the active dying phase. Maybe a month earlier when she was placed on hospice maybe even earlier, when I spoke to her on the phone on Easter and she couldn't quite follow the conversation. I was the first person her pastor called when she died. He told me she was gone and I was torn open. The primal, pre-verbal grief I had held inside for so long poured out all at once. People say grief comes in waves, and it did. First as a tsunami bowling me over, then lashing me as her funeral came and went, then my birthday, then hers. Now the waves lap more gently. They still surge sometimes, but they don't threaten to drown me. Sometimes the movement of the waves is soothing like a mother rocking her child. Among the waves is also stillness, and that is holy too. As I was writing this sermon, I found myself hesitating to talk about my personal grief. Is it too intimate, I asked myself? Will it make people uncomfortable? My first sermon, and it's a huge bummer. <laughs> and then I reminded myself, people need and deserve to have their grief seen, validated, and reflected back at them, me included. And also, this is church, not a comedy club. If you want funny, you'll have to wait a few weeks for Louise Alcorn's service, which she has promised will be funny. What's it about? Fear. <laughs> yeah. I often feel like the grief I carry from Judy's death has nowhere to go. 
It doesn't fit neatly inside a sympathy card or come with easy platitudes. It's messy, it's ambiguous, shrouded. My mentor, Cole M. Perry, a thanatologist, coined the term shadow loss to describe those losses that lie in liminal spaces. She defines it this way. Shadow loss is a loss in life, not a loss of life. It is a type of loss that has a multifaceted impact on not only the life of an individual, but also the social network in that person's life. Shadow losses may or may not be associated with a death, and most aren't. Shadow losses impact a person's social connections, status in the community, overall well-being, and family relationships. Shadow loss is a non-clinical term. It is not a diagnostic tool. Instead, shadow loss is a term an individual may choose to use to better describe the impact of a particular loss experience. So what does that all mean? Shadow losses might show up as job loss, divorce, estrangement, diagnosis, financial hardship, adoption, a congregation, a beloved community in transition year after year, uncertain of what's to come, more on that later. These losses are real and sharp and sacred and deserve to be grieved. I regularly attend a grief support group and a support group for adult adoptees. And to me, they're pretty much the same thing. In each group, I hear people wonder if their grief is valid if their grief belongs, if it's welcome anywhere. There's a man in my grief group whose wife is still alive, but dementia has eaten away at the person she once was. In my group for adoptees, a woman tries to understand why, after 10 years of reunification, her birth father has rejected her. For them, there is no grave to visit, no endless parade of casseroles arriving at their door, I hear them compare their losses, and I find myself comparing my loss, too, to others who have lost parents. But comparison is of no use. Comparison is a barrier to connection to those gates of compassion Victoria illustrated in that past service. Grief is not a competition, thank goodness. This is all to say, your grief is welcome here. There is plenty of space for our collective and individual losses to commingle in all of their complexity. William Bortz explores the complexities and contradictions of grief in his poem, Control. It can be uncomfortable to hold the tension of things we conceptualize to be opposites. Lightness and darkness, emptiness and fullness, Tenderness and toughness, connection and solitude, motion, stillness, decay, new growth, fertility and barrenness, holding on to control and letting go. So how do we reconcile those opposites? Are they really opposites at all? Where does grief come in? Grief does not and cannot exist in a vacuum or on opposing poles. It exists alongside and mixed in with many other emotions and experiences. Grief and. Grief and anger. Grief and beauty. Grief and hope. Grief and love. Grief is love. I see that love anthropomorphized in joy and grief from our story for all ages. 
I picture them bickering over when to turn out the lights at night or whether to watch a comedy or a tragedy. I picture them making coffee for each other, one cup dark and bitter, one cup milky and sweet, complimenting and completing each other, tempering each other and knowing they need each other. Sports writes, it is good to reconcile ourselves to our empty spaces. It's good to be at home in them. It is good to bring people into them. It is good to fill them with patient hands that filter the rocks from the soil and find water beneath. How do we reconcile those empty spaces, then have the courage to fill them again? I see that courage in our small glimpse of Sister June from our second reading. I see how her tears flow with unfettered honesty and ease. When Cole isn't sure what to say and asks, was your sister older or younger? Sister June doesn't falter. She doesn't make it awkward or change the subject like I probably would. She replies, let me tell you about her. An invitation. How beautiful to invite others into our grief. How beautiful to share our losses, to speak their names and clasp their weathered photos in our hands. I sense that Sister June's loss is not fresh. It is deeply settled, rooted in her part of her. Cole says Sister June taught her how to grieve with her body. Where does our resistance to embody our grief come from? To hold back tears, stiffen our upper lip, clench our fists against the waves of grief. Why not let the waves wash over us? Riley asks, who taught you to rush past your own sorrow? Grief isn't linear. Take the time when you need it. You can bear witness to the pain without being consumed by it. Bearing witness to me often looks like asking myself the question, what does my grief need? Maybe it needs music. Maybe it needs a cup of tea or something a little stronger. Maybe it needs to run away for a little while. Maybe it needs connection with others. Connection with others' grief so we may grieve together. Bortz writes elsewhere, grief is a communion we take separately but eat and drink together. One of the most potent experiences I've had of grieving in communion, in community, happened in November of 2021. My college band director, Dr. Joan D. Albuquerque, had died unexpectedly that September at age 54. A bright light, just a wonderful person. And without prompting or hesitation, current band members, alumni, and members of Joan's family organized a reunion in her memory. Around 70 of us, maybe more, gathered in Decora to play Joan's favorite pieces of music, pieces we had all played under her at one point or another in her decade at Luther. Some of us had never played together, but we became one band, one family, for those few hours. It didn't matter if we fumbled through tough passages or weren't perfectly in tune. We still made magic. We witnessed each other. We shared stories and memories. That day was a gift, a gift born out of our collective grief. This congregation is no stranger to collective grief and loss. There have been tough feelings and tough words, tender ones too. What may seem like the airing of grievances may actually be the airing of grief, letting it breathe. 
I've seen the people in this congregation hold each other and companion each other through and alongside grief. I saw it last week during our forum where there were brave, hopeful, anxious, lively conversations around what we hope to see from an interim minister. I hear it in some of the music the choir sings, like Craig Hella Johnson's Requiem, which by the way moved me to join the choir. I saw it in dozens of candles lit in remembrance at last year's longest night service. I feel it when we sing Comfort Me and give voice to our joys and concerns. I see how we show up for each other, even when it isn't easy. And I know that change isn't easy. I know we can't make people stay. I know that when people leave, it can feel personal, can feel utterly destabilizing and unmooring. Someone beloved to me recently reminded me that loss and leaving is not always abandonment. I know it can feel like it. I am primed to feel abandoned. It comes with the territory of being a resident of the country of grief and love, but I promise it's not always abandonment. I know this community to be welcoming, to be strong and headstrong, to be full of wonder and open to possibility. We will walk to the center of that labyrinth and back hand in hand, over and over, sometimes crying, sometimes grieving, sometimes not. And we won't get lost in despair, just as Riley wrote. Together, we won't get lost in despair. I'll leave you with these words from Rebecca Stoltfus, president of Goshen College, spoken at a convocation after the community had suffered multiple losses in a short period of time. Some years ago, I was going through a long period of grief. And in that process, I learned that I could be grieving and funny. I could be sad and learning. I could still laugh. And having fun and learning and laughing and playing alongside our grief is not disloyal to our loss. It is being wholly human. This pattern of growth through loss is what nature teaches us season upon season. The earth, her cycles, her gravity, her firm foundation beneath us is a teacher. And the soil is good here. The soil is good here, friends. May it be a soft place to land. Let's hold space and hold silence together for just a moment. 